Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 7, verses 24 to 30, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. We know nothing of the woman who is here mentioned, beyond the facts that we here read. Her name, her former history, the way in which she was led to seek our Lord, though a Gentile, and dwelling within the borders of Tyre and Sidon, all these things are hidden from us. But the few facts that are related about this woman are full of precious instruction. Let us observe them and learn wisdom. In the first place, this passage is meant to encourage us to pray for others. The woman who came to our Lord in the history now before us must doubtless have been in deep affliction. She saw a beloved child possessed by an unclean spirit. She saw her in a condition in which no teaching could reach the mind and no medicine could heal the body, a condition only one degree better than death itself. She hears of Jesus and beseeches him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She prays for one who could not pray for herself and never rests until her prayer is granted. By prayer, she obtains the cure which no human means could obtain. Through the prayer of the mother, the daughter is healed. On her own behalf, that daughter did not speak a word, but her mother spoke for her to the Lord and did not speak in vain. Hopeless and desperate as her case appeared, she had a praying mother, and where there is a praying mother, there is always hope. The truth here taught is one of deep importance. The case here recorded is one that does not stand alone. Few duties are so strongly recommended by scriptural example as the duty of intercessory prayer. There is a long catalog of instances in scripture which show the benefits that may be conferred on others by praying for them. The nobleman's son at Capernaum, the centurion's servant, the daughter of Jairus, are all striking examples. Incredible as it may seem, God is pleased to do great things for souls when friends and relatives are moved to pray for them. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James 5.16 Fathers and mothers are especially bound to remember the case of this woman. They cannot give their children new hearts. They can give them Christian education and show them the way of life, but they cannot give them a will to choose Christ's service and a heart to love God. Yet there is one thing they can always do. They can pray for them. 
They can pray for the conversion of wicked sons who will have their own way and run greedily into sin. They can pray for the conversion of worldly daughters who set their affections on things below and love pleasure more than God. Such prayers are heard on high. Such prayers will often bring down blessings. Never, never let us forget that the children for whom many prayers have been offered seldom finally perish. Let us pray more for our sons and daughters. Even when they will not let us speak to them about religion, they cannot prevent us speaking for them to God. In the second place, this passage is meant to teach us to persevere in praying for others. The woman whose history we are now reading appeared at first to obtain nothing by her application to our Lord. On the contrary, our Lord's reply was discouraging. Yet she did not give up in despair. She prayed on and did not faint. She pressed her suit with ingenious arguments. She would take no refusal. She pleaded for a few crumbs of mercy rather than none at all. And through this holy inopportunity, she succeeded. She heard at last those joyful words. For this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. Perseverance in prayer is a point of great moment. Our hearts are apt to become cool and indifferent and to think that it is no use to draw near to God. Our hands soon hang down and our knees wax faint. Satan is ever laboring to draw us off from our prayers and fill our minds with reasons why we may give them up. These things are true with respect to all prayers, but they are especially true with respect to intercessory prayer. It is always far more meager than it ought to be. It is often attempted for a little season and then let off. We see no immediate answers to our prayers. We see the people for whose souls we pray going on still in sin. We draw the conclusion that it is useless to pray for them and allow our intercession to come to an end. In order to arm our minds with arguments for perseverance and intercessory prayer, let us often study the case of this woman. Let us remember how she prayed on and did not faint in the face of great discouragement. Let us mark how at last she went home rejoicing, and let us resolve by God's grace to follow her example. Do we know what it is to pray for ourselves? This, after all, is the first question of self-inquiry. The man who never speaks to God about his own soul can know nothing of praying for others. He is as yet godless, Christless, and hopeless, and is yet to learn the very rudiments of religion, let him awake and call upon God. But do we pray for ourselves? Then, let us take heed that we pray for others also. Let us beware of selfish prayers, prayers which are wholly taken up with our own affairs, and in which there is no place for other souls besides our own. Let us name all whom we love before God continually. Let us pray for all, the worst, the hardest, and the most unbelieving. Let us continue praying for them year after year in spite of their continued unbelief. God's time of mercy may be a distant one. Our eyes may not see an answer to our intercession. The answer may not come for 10, 15, or 20 years. It may not come until we have exchanged prayer for praise or are far away from this world. But while we live, let us pray for others. It is the greatest kindness we can do to anyone to speak for him to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the day of judgment will show that one of the greatest links in drawing some souls to God has been the intercessory prayer of friends. That is the end of Ra's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? Beloved parents, will we stand before the throne one day and hear from our gracious God? I have a long record of prayers that were a sweet aroma to me and evidence of your faith in me and love for your son and your daughter. May it be so. Second, do we pray? Or are we, as Ryle says, godless, Christless, and hopeless? And third, do we pray for others or only for ourselves? If we do pray for others, do we persevere in our prayers for them like the Syrophoenician woman? Or are our hearts quickly cooled after a short season of no answers? Do we name all whom we love regularly?